All right. Good morning to you. It's been a good time in Dorsville Baptist Church already. I appreciate so much the worship this morning. I like that bluesy. You know, my hope is in Jesus. Then Brother Dave got kind of bluesy, you know. So that's just, I mean, I, I feel it. You know what I mean? Y'all need to stand up and feel it? Uh, no, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. We're, 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 we're bad. It's very good. But we are so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. And this is kind of the end of that little short series we talked about, talking about joy. And in particular, something kind of special today. And that is we're going to take that word joy and make that acronym out of it. You know, a lot of folks have made different acronyms out of, out of things. Like, for instance, the, probably the one we all remember most recently was WWJD. What would Jesus do? Okay. And then someone, I guess probably, I don't know how long ago, um, I was a lot younger. I know that. And I don't know if I learned it in Sunday school. Probably not that far back, you know. I'm not sure they had joy when I was in Sunday school. That's a recent invention. Maybe I don't know. But, but anyway, it's, it's, you know, joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I, I, again, as I studied this, I told GDR, I'll just be, I believe, I believe in being transparent. You know, last week was a real hard message for me in the sense that I knew it was something that I wrestled with in my life when we talk about having joy in trials and trusting God in trials. And, and this is another one. It's just another one because I know the weakness that I have. I, you know, I, I like to think that I have pretty good mercy genes in my life, that I have compassion for others in my life. I also know how easily I get frustrated with situations and things like that. So it's kind of a, a deal with me. I'm going to have to learn with you today. I don't, I've not got this one even close to down. But go ahead and throw that slide up there. And, and here's, here's that acronym for us, JOY, Jesus others you and that is such a biblical thing i you know i made the mistake of, of uh, I, went, I made the mistake of googling that okay and boy it did not take long for so, uh, uh, you know for someone to say i hate that saying you know and this is not biblical and all this and i'm going dude it is biblical i mean you can't get wrong you know fact well joy is we're to put jesus first put god first and, and if you're a proponent of Paul, okay, then you know that, that the Apostle Paul teaches clearly that we're to put others before ourselves. And if we put Jesus first and others second, that guy leaves us uh, in the Y position and the last place. And it's a great place to be because it really helps us understand the importance of us reaching out and ministering and touching the lives of others in the name of Jesus Christ. It is bigger than you ever dreamed. But then there's that problem, because like I just confessed, it's awful hard to do. We live in a me generation. We live in a time when we really want to put our others first. And so instead of having joy, you have this. You have, why Joe? Now, if you don't remember anything from the message today, I want you to remember, why Joe? Okay, go ahead and say it with me. Why Joe? Okay, now, you don't want to have, you really want to have joy... But in the world we live in, it's awful easy to have why Joe, okay? Now, why Joe means you put yourself first, okay? And then somewhere in the pecking order down the road comes Jesus, and then it comes others. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Whenever we mess with what's biblical, joy, okay? And I do believe it's biblical, Jesus, others, you... And you come up with something that's outside the Bible, in fact, just not even biblical, okay? You end up with something that doesn't make sense and doesn't work. I know, I know, someone's sitting there going, why Joe? Why Joe ain't a word? Well, I know that. Because see, when you take something outside the Bible and you twist it all up, you get something that don't make sense. Why Joe? And here's what you got. You know, not you have the you have the word there, you have myself, Jesus, and others. But then there's that why. Now, if you why, if you think why, you think 
W-H-Y? Because see, when you put yourself first, instead of Jesus, others, you, when you put yourself first, it ain't long before you're saying, why should I listen to Jesus anyway? Who does he think he is, God? Uh, yeah! <laughs> How about that? That's a surprise. All right? Yeah, yeah. So you start thinking, you know, so, so why should I do the Jesus thing? Okay? And then, I mean, right on the tail of that is, hooked together is, well, why should I care about others? And the deal is, you know, when we live, why, Joe? We are so, like, so outside of who Jesus is and what God's called us to be. So it's just flat important that we stay Jesus, others, you. So we want to look at a great scripture today, one that you are familiar with, and we want to tell the story. We're going to see a picture of, we're going to see why uh, Joe, for sure, okay? And then we're going to see joy, Jesus, others, you, played out. We look at our Bibles in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25, Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25. Now, you might want to say, well, what does why Joe look like, okay? And, you know, well... <laughs> Now, don't take this personal, but, but I, I got a little clip, okay, a little video clip for us today to help us see what we can become if we put ourselves before Jesus and ourselves before others. You want to show that little video clip? Every Who dog in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. That's why, Joe, right there. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Ah, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Now, now the Grinch was a Y-Joe um, because he put himself in front of everything. And it's really easy for us, as even as believers, when we get our priorities mixed up and we put ourselves before everything, we can get pretty Grinchy, okay? And so we want to look at a story today on the hope set. It'll help us see that and we'll learn from that and, again, keep the proper perspective and the right order, Jesus, others, you. Now, there is a bottom line that you're going to understand better in just a minute. There's one more slide I'd like to share with you. Go ahead and throw that one up. And this is really important, and you're going to understand just a little bit. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure I can even read that. Let's see here. There we go. Ben, we might need to have a meeting. Okay? Um, the way we love our neighbor carries a lot more weight than how much scripture we can quote. Hashtag we need to remember. The way we love our neighbor carries a lot more weight than how much scripture we can quote. And again, it's, you know, it's really crazy. You can, you can be able to quote a bunch of scripture and you can go to church a whole bunch and still have that priority mixed up and still have, you know, be a wide Joe to have yourself at the front of the list. And again, when you do that, there's just not a lot of joy. 
Um, you know, I, I think this works. I'm not sure it does. I was talking to Brent earlier before church about Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame, I, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Don't ask me to explain how a Baptist pastor pulls for a Catholic team because I don't know. Um, but I have for a long time, I can tell you that. And, and they just finished a perfect season. They went 12-0 and 0 in their season. And, but last night, they just played a terrible game. They were playing an unranked team, okay? Uh, it's always a rivalry. USC and Notre Dame are always a rivalry. It's the last game of the season every year. But they just play terrible. And they end up winning by, by a touchdown, by seven points. But, but again, even after the game, there wasn't that celebration of joy. And when they won, there wasn't a celebration of joy. Because I knew and they knew, it seemed like they knew, and I, at least from my perspective, from my armchair, they did not play their best. It's almost like they didn't want to win. It's almost like, you know, they thought, oh, well, this will be a cakewalk. We don't even want to win anyway. And I'm grateful that they ended up winning, but there wasn't that joy. And again, when we, when we mess around with a proper perspective and we don't play our best game with joy, then there's not a lot of joy in life. And we walk around through life going, you know, what's this all about? So I really hope this will shake us up today. Well, here we go. Here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here we go. So an, now, now the setting is like a classroom, okay? So imagine Jesus. He might be in a building. He might be just sitting out in the courtyard of the temple, the synagogue there. He's sitting and he is teaching. It's a teaching setting. And so then, then an expert in the law, okay, stood up to test him. Now, now you know how it is when, when you have a question in a classroom, you teachers know, ooh, 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 teacher, I have a question. Ooh, 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 I have a teacher. Or the teacher asks a question and you go, ooh, ooh, I know the answer, okay? And so, so in this context, when you wanted to ask a question, you didn't raise your hand, you stood up. So, so this expert in the law is fixing to ask a question. He is fixing to ask a question, but here's the deal. He's asking it for the wrong reason. He's fixing to ask a hugely important question, but he's asking it for the wrong reason. Now, I wanted to tie in something here. It's really important you understand something. You know, I've had a lot of people ask me, well, how do I become a Christian? And I know it's the wrong context. And you say, what? Is there ever a wrong context for someone to ask that question? There really is. Because, you know, for instance, a guy will come into my office. He's messed his marriage up, okay? He has either been unfaithful or, you know, he's not been good to his wife. And finally she says, I'm done. And, and his one thought is, I want to get saved. Why do you want to get saved for you? Because I want my marriage back. Well, it's noble that you want to get your marriage back. But the reason you want to get saved is you are a sinner and you have sinned against holy God. And you understand that there's nothing you can do about that and that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, okay? And that if you, by faith, believe that he died for you and that you choose to turn from your sin and follow him, that's the reason to be saved, okay? So this dude is fixing to ask this question and he's got a total wrong motivation for asking. It's a great, it's a wonderful question. It might be the most important question, but he's fixing to ask it for the wrong reason. Here's what he says. He's about to test him, the wrong reason, and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or, in our terms today, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. It should say his reason for asking it is not sorrow over his sin, is he's trying to trap Jesus in a situation, all right? It's, it's really a, it's a huge deal. Now, keep in mind, okay, notice what he said, what must I do? It's not how. How do I go to heaven? How can I have God forgive my sins? It's a do. And the reason why is he lives in a do world. 
In his world, in his scope, as a Jewish expert of the law, everything he knows about God is do something. If he's ever going to go to, to, to see the kingdom of God, if he's ever going to go to heaven, he understands, he thinks, that he must do something. And here's what we need to understand as Christians, as believers. We live in a do world too. We live in a, you've got to understand that when you're talking to people. Because from their perspective, if they can do something, see, they don't understand it's not do, it's done. They don't understand it's done. It's done on the cross. We believe in, not, we believe in what's done, not what we've got to do. Okay? So, so when you share Jesus with people, and, we, and when you're living your life before folks, just keep in mind we live in a, a do world. Okay? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus in verse 26 says, well, what is written in the law? Okay, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Now, now again, he's not saying the answers in the law, okay? But he's trying, because this guy's an expert in the law, he's trying to get on his level, which is a great idea. Okay, he's trying to get down where this person can start to understand his need. You know, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says this. For no one, how many? Yeah, no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. No one will be made right, okay, in God's sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So the purpose was the law of the law. It was, the law was never intended to be a pathway to heaven. The law was there to show our need for redemption. To show our need for a savior. To show our need for a rescue. So Jesus is not teaching, oh, well, listen, you're an expert in the law. Let's see what the law says. His point is to try to get this guy to see that the law could not save him. So he asked the question, what, you know, what's written in the law? Um, how do you read it? In verse 27, well, he answered. And in answering, he gives us the joy principle. He gives us the Jesus, others, you principle. It's a great principle. And it is biblical. You know, we teach it here at Dorsville Baptist Church. Here's what it says. He answered, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all. Okay, there's a couple of things you need to know. First off, the word love there is that word. It's not phileo. Okay, it's not a brotherly love. It's a sacrificial love. It is the word agapo. Okay, in the Greek, it's the word agapo. It means a sacrificial godly love. So, so we are to love God with a, with a sacrificial dying love. Okay, love the Lord your God. And the second word is with all. With all. All in. All in. The, the idea, now listen, the idea that we have that's thrown away, thrown around in Christian circles today is, is that somehow we can play footsie with the world and walk with God. It's just not biblical. Okay? Again, we have people, oh God, I want to be saved. Save my marriage. Oh God, I want to be healed. So heal my body. I'll do anything you want. Foxhole religion. Okay? And that's exactly what it is. But it's not biblical in that sense. There's the brokenness over sin. There's a belief in what Jesus Christ did and faith in what he did and choosing to follow him. That's the biblical way of salvation. Not the, oh, no, I'm in trouble kind. Okay? And so when he says, you're all in. Well, you know, when we love God right, it's all in. So he says, love the Lord our God with all your heart. Okay? That's our emotions, desires, and affections. Our dreams. I mean, how many of you are willing today, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you're willing to put your dreams on the line? You're willing, you've got this dream of what's your future. Students, you know, young people particularly, you've got your mind, you know, this is what my dream life looks like. You know, he says, are you willing to put that on the line? 
I want to lay it down. Your affections, um, your desires, your emotions. With all your soul. That is, and this is your being. This is who you are. This is the essence of who you are. Love God with all your soul. Um, love Him with all your intellect. With your mind. And then love Him with all your strength. The drive and will that you have in life. So the guy says, we're to love God with everything that we are. And he says, and he says... And your neighbor as yourself. And boy, he hits the, I mean, the nail right on the head. This is what God desires for, for, for us as believers particularly. We are to love him and love people. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people. He's spot on. Not as a way of salvation. But as the will of God for every follower of Jesus Christ. And it's so cool because we see joy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. J. And then we are to love your neighbor, others, and yourself. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This is not self-hate. This is not, this is not love God, love others, hate yourself. That's not. In fact, you'll notice what the verbiage says. Your neighbor as yourself. You know I'm learning? You can't, excuse me, by the way, I've got some crazy stuff going on, so if I like do weird things like gag, it's, it's that, okay? So, so, so you know, if you, if, you, if you love God, love Jesus, and love others, you're going to have a hard time loving others if you don't love yourself. Now, I'm not talking about this, this you know, you're the center of your own universe love. You know, see, it's biblical, you know, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 4, Everyone should look out not only, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So Paul says we should look out for our own interest, but at the same time we just should look out for the interest of others. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Paul says, Husbands, you're to love your wives as you love your own body. So, so the idea and principle of self-hate is not there. But the idea and thought is, we love Jesus, we love others as we love ourselves. Okay? It's a good way to look at that thing. All right? Then he goes on a little bit further and says this. You've, this is Jesus speaking, you've answered correctly. You've answered correctly. There's a vertical process. Love God with everything that you are. There's a horizontal process. Okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Now, the needed answer is this. Jesus, I can't do that. It's not possible, even though I'm a ruler of the law, the teacher of the law, an expert in the law. There's no way I can do this. I need your help. That's the needed answer. But it's not the answer that the guy gives. See, basically what Jesus said is, when he said, do this and you will live, he basically said, do the impossible and you will live. Because it's impossible for us to please God. In and of ourselves, who we are. Listen, I may not know you today. I may not know your name. You may have walked in this building. You may be listening on the radio. You're driving down the interstate. You pick up this thing. Or on 13, you pick up this thing. I may not even know you. But let me tell you something I know about you. In and of yourself, who you are, you cannot please God. We are separated from God because of our sin. 
And there's nothing of ourselves, no religious act, no amount of piety, no moral works that we can do that can bring us into relationship with God. We are separated, and we can't do a thing about that. So when Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live, do the impossible, and you will live. It's like it went right over the guy's head. Straight over his head. So he moves down in verse number 29. And the Bible says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify. It's like he wanted to limit the law. It's like he knew, well, you know what? Gosh, I'm not sure I could love, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I could love all my neighbors. I mean, I've got some bad neighbors, okay? And I'm just not sure I can love everyone that way. So Jesus, let's bring it down. Let's dumb it down. Let's water it down. Let's put limit. Oh, we Baptists, we, we believers, we love limitations. You know, we want to say, you know, if someone slaps you in the face, turn your other cheek, except we love limitations, and so it's like he's wanting a limitation there. We, we don't, you don't really mean everybody. You know, love your neighbor. You really don't mean the guy sitting next to me this morning, do you? Jesus, you really don't mean my wife or husband, do you? So he wants to justify himself. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Now, this is huge. This... Is something that we as individuals have to come to terms. How many of you have lived long enough where you know there are people you just can't stand? There's people you don't love, and there are people you don't like. I don't know. We'll all go, well, the Bible says I'll love everybody, so I do. Really? Well, at the altar, could you come down? Let's talk about lying. Okay, let's just be honest with you. You know, let's just lay it out, okay? We all have people that we really wrestle with. You know, there's situations that we wrestle with, and we don't we don't necessarily want to love. Okay, so so we're here, and he goes. So so who is my neighbor? We got to come to terms with individually who our neighbor is. We've got to understand that the guy that lives next to you, or the guy you bumped into in the parking lot, or he bumped into you in the parking lot physically or emotionally. You know, we got to come to terms with that person. And as a church, I want you to listen. Are you listening real carefully? We have got to come to terms with people who walk through our doors. We've got to come to terms with the people. Who's our neighbor? Individually, the people that bump into our life. I was talking to someone today, and we talked about bump, someone bumped into their life. You know? So, as a church, who is our neighbor? It's a huge question. You would think it'd be logical. You think it'd be logical that people would go, "Oh, well, you know, we 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 like people that look like us." You know, I have a real issue with tattoos, and so as long as they don't have tattoos, I'm okay. And I I have zero body piercings. I don't have my nose, my ears, or nothing else pierced. I come to terms with piercing your ears. You know, if you're a girl, and I guess with guys sometimes. It was kind of cool. But the other piercing things, I'm going, really? Okay. So, so as long as there's not, as long as you haven't pierced anything besides your ears, okay, we're okay with you. You know, and clothing. Oh, now listen, you've got to look like, you've got to wear your Sunday best if you're going to come to church. Well, what if they don't have Sunday best? Or what if they do? 
So we're, again, we come to terms with the people who walk through our doors. What do you do when people come in and they're different than you? We've got to come to terms with that. And you may not like the answer, but I'll tell you what Jesus, well, you're going to find out what Jesus said. All right? So, so we have these people. Who's my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question. I love this. Jesus took up the question and tells a story. He tells a story. He said in verse number 30 of Luke chapter 10. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him and beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. Now, I, I ran through that pretty quick. Can I slow it down just a little bit and give it to you one more time? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him up, fled, leaving him half dead. Now, there's two things that pop in my brain. One is John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's a culture out there and a world out there that's dog-eat-dog. Dog, okay? And there are people in the world of sin who are getting beat up and leaving for half-dead and stripped and robbed. That's what the world does. Our, our church often sees refugees from the world walk through the door. Um, a gentleman in our church that handles our benevolence often runs into people who have been beat up by the world. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? So it's a, this is a real picture of a real world scenario. Often this happens in our world. There are people who come into our lives. We bump into them individually, and then sometimes they walk through our doors. Okay? And they're beat up, and they're stripped, and they're robbed. And half dead. That's what Jesus says. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes they come into our doors. And the second scripture is this. Helps us see. I've been teaching you now for about five years. About Psalm 121.1. I will lift my eyes up into the hills. And from which comes my help. Help. If you just read just like I said then. It sounds like the hills are the help. And it's so not true. It's so not true. If you look in most translations, they make it clear by saying, I lift my eyes up into the hills. Now, where's my help? Question mark. The hills were dangerous. This area was 17 miles long. From Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles. They dropped in elevation from 3,000 feet down to lower, from, from 3,000 down. And the whole trail was nothing but crags and curves and places for robbers to hide. So when the author of Psalm, Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, it wasn't for salvation. It was fear. It was fear. And trust me, outside our doors, it's a world where people are afraid. They're just afraid. And they want to know, where can I get help? And folks, if they can't come to Jesus and get help, what hope do they have? If they can't come to God's people and get help, what hope do they have? If they can't come to the house of God and get hope, what help do they have? So, so they, left him, they left him half dead. And this is where Mr. Y. Joe pops up. It's so I, I really appreciate the fact that Jesus was not trying to condemn the Pharisees and the, and the Levites and those kind of guys at all. He was just stating a fact. So in his story, 
And keep in mind, this is a story that he made up. In Luke 10, 31, a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he he sees the guy that's beat up, okay, stripped of his clothing, okay. He sees him, and he passes by on the other side. Then a Levite, okay, comes along, another religious person comes along, he arrives at the scene. He also sees the guy and also passes by on the other side. Now, we, we must not pick up rocks too quick here. Okay, can I be truthful with you? A lot of us would do the same thing. See, the situation here is dangerous. There's a lot at risk. We don't know if the robbers are hiding behind that rock. We don't know if what happened to him could happen to us. And the truth is, the truth is, whatever's going to happen, if we, if we were to stop and minister here, it's going to take time and resources. It's going to cost us. And honestly, a lot of us find ourselves, trust me, look at me, I mean me. So often there's an opportunity to minister and go, I don't have time, and what if, and this, and that, and you know, the other. So we walk by. It's, 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 it's surely true that one of the reasons they passed by was risk. The risk was too great. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you have, you know, why Joe, and you're in the front seat... Risk gets really big. When, when, when you're worried about me, okay, risk is magnified. And it's so easy to talk yourself out of helping someone. But listen to what Paul said again. You know, those of you who are really like Romans and Paul, well, this is the same Paul. I want you to listen to what he said. He says in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing. How much? Nothing, yeah. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing to promote yourself and lift yourself up. Okay? But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, again, that's power. I've got to read that again. We just can't let that go by with one reading. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, why, Joe? Why? Get back where you belong and put God first and others second and then yourself. Put your others in front of yourself. And, you know, Jesus did that all the time. You know, Jesus was the only guy he could walk into any room and be the most important person in the room. And he powered down time after time after time. He never played the, I've been a member of this church this long, and I have this office, and I give this much money. He never did that. He just powered down. Jesus always powered down. He owned the, the, the earth and the cattle on a thousand hills, and as someone said, the hill. And he always powered down. And, and that's what you do if you've got joy. But if you got, why, Joe? It's about me. I want this. I deserve this. Not just in church, but in your life, in your world, in your marriage. Your students. (laughs) Students. 
Yeah, mom and dad, you've got to do this because, you know, I'm, you, your job is to take care of me, you know. <laughs> yeah. So these guys come along and they see him and they walk by on the other side. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. Listen. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me. In other words, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to be a Christian If you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, let him, are you ready? Wait for it. Deny himself. That means putting why Joe in his place. Why goes to the back. Jesus, others, you. Let him deny himself. Take up the cross of identification and follow me. You know where you're going to follow him to? You want to, if you follow Jesus, you want me to tell you where you're going to follow him to? Right into the arena of risk. Jesus was a risk taker. And guess what? He calls us to be a risk taker. He, he calls us to love when love might be risky. He calls us to give when giving just might be risky. He calls us to go when going might be risky. He, he calls us to sacrifice when it might cost us everything. Follow me. And then he says, well, here's the deal. Whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How about that? How about that? Well, then... Jesus, the master storyteller, gives us the perfect example of joy. Here's what it looks like. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now, now somebody go, ooh. Yeah. You know, if, if, if we're in a movie theater, the music would change. If the lights weren't already down, they would get darker. Okay? The intensity would move. Okay? A Samaritan was a half-breed. The Jews hated Samaritans. They were the pure Jews. They were far more superior. In Hebrews, excuse me, and Samaritans were mixed with Gentile blood. And they were half-breeds. They hated each other. Particularly Jews hating Samaritans. So a Samaritan is on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, here it is, he had compassion. Now, somewhere in my past, I've told you that compassion is love in action. Compassion is when we go somewhere beyond words to action. It's somewhere, somewhere beyond, gee, I'm sorry you're in that situation, and you do something to help. He had compassion. I love Matthew 9.36. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. See, Jesus had the joy thing down. Wow. So he sees it and has compassion, and he went over to him. Now, now listen to what all happens in this one verse. It's like, it's like packed, okay? You know, every morning I, I make coffee with my little Corey coffee maker, and I got one of those things that you put coffee grounds in. You know why I do this? Because the cups cost too much. So I got me the little thing where you can dump Folgers in. You can make a lot of cups of coffee with that three-pound 
package, let me just tell you. And I look down there, and I, I can't go further than the green line. So I sit there, and I shake it down. I shake it down. I shake it down. Okay? Now, Jesus packs truth into this verse the same way. He shakes it down. Here's what he says. The man went over to him, the man that was half dead, and bandaged his wounds. Okay. Can I back up and teach you again on something? There are people out in our world, outside these doors, right over here, and if you want to go north to, to Barnett Street, or we could go to Southwest Acres, or we could go to the Country Club, or we could go around Granger Street. It does not matter the address. We could go anywhere, and we find people with wounds. We live in a world of wounds. Church, hear me, please. Believers in Jesus, hear me. We live in a world of wounded people. Wounded by sin. Wounded by the effects of sin. Wounded by the pain of sin. Wounded by the ravages of sin. So, so when this man comes over and sees these wounds, he takes action and he bandages now, back in those days, they would do several things, and we see some of it here, but they would put different ingredients on a cloth and cover the wound with it. And that's what we see when Jesus says these words. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in olive oil and wine. Now, not accidentally, not accidentally, but there's a reason here. The truth is, in those days, they would pour olive oil into the wounds, it was a soothing thing. You remember, you, you remember when you were like seven years old? Okay? And you touched the hot stove? Okay? Back in the old, old days, now not when like back when you burned your hand, okay? Back when you burned your hand, we actually had burn ointment. Okay? I hope we did. Maybe we didn't. The scar's pretty bad. Maybe we didn't, Becca, but I promise you if we'd had burn ointment, we would put it on there, okay? But we would have burn ointment. But when I was growing up, okay, I, see, I grew up in a time we didn't have seatbelts in cars. And guess what? The dash was made of metal. Mash your face, baby, because you're going to hit it. Okay, that's where the world I grew up in. Well, when I burnt my hand, you know what Mama did? She went, mayonnaise? What world did you grow up in? Can we talk after church? I bet you put sugar and grits too. So, so no, no. You go to the refrigerator, but you don't get mayonnaise. You get butter. Yeah. Well, well, you didn't have butter. We had margarine. You know? And you go and you get that margarine and you put on. You know why? Because does margarine really have oil in it? I don't know if it's even got oil in it. I don't know what margarine's got. It's probably plastic. But anyway, but you rub, you rub it on the wound. And, and, the, and the oil would calm the wound down. Well, when he says he pours in olive oil, it's a comforting thing. It's a comforting thing. Now, you say, well, I didn't come to hear your historical lesson on your mama putting butter on your lips or on your hand. Okay, then let's hear something better than that. Listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Are you ready? Have you fashioned your seatbelt? He comforts us 
in all our affliction. Can I have an amen? He's the God of all comfort, and He comforts us in all our affliction so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. So the God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction so that we can turn around and be a comfort to all the people in all their affliction. See, you thought God was just trying to make you feel better. No, God was preparing you to be a minister of His grace so you could reach out and comfort other people hurting. And I'm talking about the folks outside those doors who are beat up and bruised by sin. They're hurting and they're wounded. And He says, I'm going to give you comfort so you can comfort them because they need comforting. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. This thing's, this thing's not about us. It's not about our comfort level. It's about us being Jesus to that world out there. It's about us pouring a little olive oil in the wounds of the people out there that are so ravished and hurting by sin. He goes on and says this. Pour a little wine in. The wine, if y'all have ever watched Western movies, they would take their bottle of liquor and they'd pull the cork out with their teeth. And they would have that gunshot wound. They pour that liquor in there. Well, first they take a swig. So just be honest. They take a swig. And, and then they pour into the wound. And what's the purpose? To kill infection. Liquor has alcohol. And it's a killing thing. Well, is there anything like that, Dwayne, for us? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth. The salt. And if you know anything about salt, you'll know if you put it in a wound, it has the tendency to kill bacteria. See? And so when he says he walked over and put the olive oil in, that's the comfort. But he said, pour the wine in. We have a purpose in that too. We are to be the salt of this world. And listen, sometimes salt can be painful. Have you ever scraped your knee and then gone swimming in the ocean? It can be really painful. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes the message of the gospel is going to be painful. You know, someone said that the gospel is going to be offensive. And if people are going to be offended, let the gospel offend them and not our traditions or judgments or our snooty attitudes. Let the gospel offend them. I will never apologize for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only way for a man to come into relationship with God. I won't apologize for the gospel. But let's not be a, let's not as individuals be people who are offensive out there. And as a church, let's not be an offensive people. When they walk in through those doors wounded and hurting, may they find the oil of comfort, and may they find the truth that can set a man free from sin, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this be a place people can come and be helped. He goes on, he goes on and says that. He says he, he poured olive oil and wine. He brought it his own animal. He got off the donkey and put the man on the donkey. And, you know, Paul said in, in Galatians chapter 6, he said, bear one another's burden. There's a world out there who's hurting. 
and they need help carrying their burdens. I'm not talking about necessarily about food. I know their hearts are breaking. We've got to sometimes take time, take time, take time. No walk by. Take time and help them with their burdens. And then, and then he brought them to an inn, a safe place. I told someone today who asked me to pray for them. They were having a hard time. And we bowed in prayer and I said, I want you to know something. You are in a safe place today. This house of God needs to be a safe place. I want to ask you a question. And I, know, I don't know if I want to know the answer or not. But is this a place where you would not be afraid to bring your friends? Afraid because of judgment. Stone chunking. If I brought my friend, Dwayne, I'm afraid that people would judge him. These wrong skin color. He's got too many piercings or too many tats or doesn't dress right or this or that. This church needs to be a safe place. It needs to be a place where truth is told, comfort is given, and love is breathed. That's what it needs to be. And they took care of him. He took care of him. Well, you would think that would be enough. But it's amazing. In Luke 10, verse 35, it says, Well, the next day, i got 16 seconds left. David, is that right? The next day, he took out two denarii. And you remember, if you remember your Bible, two denarii is probably about two days' wage. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. That's just amazing to me. Um, one of the commentaries I was studying said two denarii, two days' wages, would have paid for several weeks' lodging. Several weeks' lodging. And then he says, and then he says, oh, and if, I'll be back this way, and if it costs more than that to get him well, I'll be willing to pay it. Is that not a beautiful picture of the gospel? But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God said, I'll do whatever it takes to redeem man. I'll go all the way. I'll go all the way. He didn't go halfway to the cross. He didn't go a third way to the cross. He didn't hang on the cross for an hour. He hung there until he could cry out and say, it is finished. It's done. It's done. It's done. I'll pay you back. See, I love this. Now watch. There was no hope of repayment. There was, in fact, when this Jew got better, he might have said, I won't know part of you. I hate Samaritans. There's no guarantee that the Samaritans' act of kindness was going to garner any even praise for what he did. But he didn't do it for praise. He did because it was the right thing to do. And see, we don't need to do it for praise either. We don't need to do it out of hope of repayment. Well, I'll, I'll do this because God wants me to. And I bet, <laughs> I bet because I do it because God wants me to, He'll just turn around and bless me, I bet. He may or He may not. God didn't say, do it and I'll bless you. He said, you just do it. And there's a reward coming that you won't believe in a place called heaven. You may not see it now, but you'll see it then.
And then Jesus said, well, which of these three, talking to the dude that started this whole conversation, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So we have, which of these three, we had the Levi, we had the priest, and we had the Samaritan. Which one? And it's probably hard for this guy to say because, again, this guy was an expert in the law, didn't like Samaritans either. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Even this expert in the law knew it was the one who showed mercy, the one, the one who poured out mercy to this man. How about that? You know, here's a great verse. and It's in Matthew 9, 13. It says this. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call righteous, but sinners. Go learn this, he says. There, I, I said yesterday at Frank's funeral, there is a place for holiness. We will not stop preaching holiness. But not for the sake of promoting us above others. Some people like to be holy because it makes them look good. Not that it pleases God. We'll, we'll preach holiness. But God says, don't forget this. I desire mercy over sacrifice. Over religious activity, I desire mercy. And so the guy said, well, the one who showed mercy was the neighbor. That's right. That's right. And then Jesus says, go and do the same. Remove the barriers. Remove the risk. And go and do the same. See, there's real power. Jeremy, there's real power. And when we do joy the biblical way, putting our God first, others second, ourselves last. It, it, it can change communities. It can change lives. It can change churches. And you know what? It could change countries. It can change countries. If... If we're willing to trust God. Remember, joy was a deeply rooted faith and trust in God and his sovereignty. If we're willing to trust God and lay it all on the line, take the risk as a church, take the risk as individuals, waiting to receive those refugees out there. And I don't know when. Look, I don't know. Joe, I don't know when. But somewhere out there is a day when this old country is going to get so bad morally and economically that our doors might be flooded with refugees. That the wages of sin of death is going to be so bad out there, they're going to come to the house of God. And when they get here, we've got to be ready for them. We've got to be ready. No matter how they look, no matter how they smell, we've got to be ready to love them as Jesus loves them. It's been our mantra for a long time. A long time. But we need to be stronger, not weaker. We need to be, we need to be careful. Careful. That's always Jesus, others, and ourselves last. Would you bow your heads, please? You heard a lot about a guy on a cross this morning named Jesus. If you're here today and you've never come to a place where where you have come to relationship with God. You know there's a God, but you could never call him Father. You know that. But today you heard about a man named Jesus who died on a cross because the payment for sin was death. He died for you. 
If you ask him to, now you've got to ask him, but if you ask him to in faith, believing, and he will turn, if you're willing to turn from your sin, he'll forgive your sin when you choose to follow him. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we'd love to share that with you. Perhaps you're here today, and you're like me. Sometimes I wrestle. I like why Joe sometimes. I like me first. And maybe there's a particular area in your life that you're wrestling with. And what, what you need to do, what I need to do, and by the way, it's more than, it's not like a one-time deal. When I see that rare enough in my life, I say, God, I'm putting me. It's all about me. It's my, it's my world, Lord. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me, to forgive me. And he does that. And he helps me. So maybe that's where you are today. Maybe, though, you've got the joy perspective. You've got Jesus, others, and you. And you heard of two opportunities already by giving to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You can demonstrate that in a practical way by even sacrificing from your financial means so others may know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to make time to go stand in front of Walmart or Kroger and ring a bell. You can have your Jesus shirt on. You can sing Christian songs. You can have Christmas. They put no restrictions. You and I can make time and serve Jesus that way. For the purpose, not of promoting the Salvation Army. I'm glad to have that God perspective, as Jesus said. But for the purpose of being Jesus to those. A warm smile. A warm smile. A kind word. A Jesus word. We don't know what God will do standing at a red kettle in front of Walmart or Kroger. So there's two opportunities we've heard of. If you've, if you've got the Jesus perspective, you know you do. Those are just two ways you heard about today that you can help with. So God, we want to thank you for your word. I pray it made sense. I pray that, God. I'm so grateful it doesn't depend on me to make it make sense. It depends on you. If there's a friend here today who's never experienced your wonderful grace, who's out there and their sins are not forgiven and they're not in a relationship with you, would you bring them home today? Would you pull them and draw them to Jesus today? Holy Spirit, would you do that today? If there's folks here today who do clearly realize that, that the why Joe is who they are, it's always about them and what they want. Help us, Lord, to get that the proper perspective. We can't do it without you, but we can certainly do it with you. So we pray for that. And then God, as we have our right perspective, as is Jesus, others, you, help us to recognize opportunities to love and to serve the broken and the wounded around us. Give us eyesight to see those half-dead, wounded and stripped by the world who need you so desperately. And help us to be willing to take the risk, take the time, give the funds, whatever it might be, Father, to help them. So this is your time, Jesus. We give it to you. I want to thank you for it. We pray in your name.